Welcome to Frig Friday, featuring Sigrid Unset's Kristen Lovren's Daughter, read by Michelle Hammond, sponsored by Gal's Guide. Kristen Lovren's Daughter by Sigrid Unset Winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature Book One The Wreath Part Two The Wreath Chapter Four During the time he lived at Skog, Lovrens Bjorgelsen had given property to Gerderud Church for requiems to be held for the souls of his parents on the anniversaries of their deaths. His father Bjorgulf Kettleson's death date was the 13th of August, and this year Lovrens had made arrangements for his brother to bring Kristen out to his estate so that she could attend the Mass. She was afraid that something might happen to prevent her uncle from keeping his promise. She thought she had noticed that Osmond was not particularly fond of her, but on the day before the Mass was to be held, Osmond Bjorgulfsson arrived at the convent to get his niece. Kristen was told to dress in secular attire, but dark and simple in appearance. People had begun to remark that the sisters of Nonacetter spent a great deal of time outside the convent, and the bishop had therefore decreed that the young daughters who were not to become nuns should not wear anything resembling convent garb when they went to visit their kinsmen. Then the populace would not mistake them for novices or nuns of the order. Kristen was in a joyous mood as she rode along the road with her uncle, and Osmond became more cheerful and friendly toward her when he noticed that the maiden was an affable companion. Otherwise, Osmond was rather dejected. He said it seemed likely that a campaign was about to be launched in the fall, and that the king would sail with his army to Sweden to avenge the vile deed that had been perpetrated against his brother-in-law and his niece's husband. Kristen had heard about the murder of the Swedish dukes and thought it an act of the worst cowardice, although all such affairs of the realm seemed so distant to her. No one talked much about such things back home in the valley, but she also remembered that her father had participated in the campaign against Duke Eirik at Ranar Hildarholm and Konungahela. Osmond explained everything that had happened between the king and the dukes. Kristen didn't understand much of what he said but she paid close attention to what her uncle told her about the betrothals that had been agreed upon and then broken by the king's daughters. It gave her some comfort to hear that it was not the same in all places as it was back home in the villages, where an arranged betrothal was considered almost as binding as a marriage. So she gathered her courage, told her uncle about her adventures on the evening before the vigil of St. Halvard, and asked him whether he knew Erland of Husaby. Osmond gave Erland a good report, saying that he had acted unwisely, but that his father and the king were mostly to blame. He said they had behaved as if the boy had been the horn of the devil himself because he had landed in such a predicament. The king was much too pious, and Sir Nicolaus was angry because Erland had wasted so much good property, so they had both thundered about adultery in the fires of hell. Any able-bodied young man has to have a certain amount of defiance in him, said Osmond Bjorkelson, and the woman was exceedingly beautiful. But you have no reason to have anything to do with Erland, so pay no heed to his affairs. Erland did not attend the Mass as he had promised Kristen he would, and she thought more about this than about the Word of God. But she felt no remorse over it, 
She merely had the odd feeling of being a stranger to everything to which she had previously felt herself bound. She tried to console herself. Erland probably thought it best that no one who had authority over her should find out about their friendship. She could understand this herself, but she had longed to see him with all her heart, and she wept when she went to bed that evening in the loft where she slept with Osmond's small daughters. The next day she headed up toward the woods with the youngest of her uncle's children, a little maiden six years old. When they had gone some distance, Erlans came running after them. Kristen knew who it was before she even saw him. I've been sitting up here on the hill looking down at the farmyard all day long, he said. I was sure that you'd find some chance to slip away. Do you think I've come out here to meet you? said Kristen with a laugh. And aren't you afraid to be wandering in my uncle's woods with your dogs and bow? Your uncle has given me permission to hunt here for a short time, said Erland. And the dogs belong to Osmond. They found me up here this morning. He patted the dogs and picked up the little girl. You remember me, don't you, Ronded? But you mustn't say that you've talked to me, and then I'll give you this. He took out a little bundle of raisins and handed it to the child. I intended it for you, he told Kristen. Do you think this child can keep quiet? Both of them spoke quickly and laughed. Erland was wearing a short, snug brown tunic, and he had a small red silk cap pressed down onto his black hair. He looked so young. He laughed and played with the child, but every once in a while he would take Kristen's hand, squeezing it so hard it hurt. He talked about the rumors of the campaign with joy. Then it will be easier for me to win back the friendship of the king. Everything will be easier then, he said fervently. At last they sat down in a meadow some distance up in the woods. Erland had the child on his lap. Kristen sat by his side. He was playing with her fingers in the grass. He put into her hand three gold rings tied together with a string. Later on, he whispered to her, you shall have as many as you can fit on your fingers. I'll wait for you here in this field every day at this time, for as long as you are at Skog, he said as they parted. Come when you can. The next day, Osmond Bjorgelsen, along with his wife and children, left for Girid's ancestral estate at Hadeland. They had become alarmed by the rumors of the campaign. The people around Oslo were still filled with terror ever since Duke Eirik's devastating incursion into the region some years before. Osmond's old mother was so frightened that she decided to seek refuge at Nonaceter. She was too frail to travel with the others. So Kristen would stay at Skog with the old woman whom she called Grandmother until Osmond returned from Hadeland. Around noontime, when the servants on the farm were resting, Kristen went up to the loft where she slept. She had brought along some clothing in a leather bag, and she hummed as she changed her clothes. Her father had given her a dress made of thick cotton fabric from the east. It was sky blue with an intricate red flower pattern. This is what she put on. She brushed and combed out her hair, tying it back from her face with red silk ribbons. She wrapped a red silk belt tightly around her waist and slipped Erland's rings onto her fingers, all the while wondering whether he would find her beautiful. She had let the two dogs that had been up in the forest with Erland sleep in the loft with her at night. Now she enticed them to come with her. She sneaked around the buildings and took the same path through the outlying fields that she had used the day before. The forest meadow lay empty and still in the glare of the noonday sun. 
There was a hot fragrance coming from the spruce trees that surrounded it on all sides. The blazing sun and the blue sky seemed strangely close and harsh against the treetops. Kristen sat down in the shade at the edge of the clearing. She wasn't disappointed at Erland's absence. She was sure that he would come, and she felt a peculiar joy at being allowed to sit there alone, the first to arrive. She listened to the soft buzz of insects across the yellow scorched grass. She plucked off several dry, spice-scented flowers that she could reach without moving more than her hand. She twirled them between her fingers and sniffed at them. With her eyes wide open, she sank into a kind of trance. She didn't move when she heard a horse approaching from the forest. The dogs growled and raised their hackles. Then they bounded up across the meadow, barking and wagging their tails. Erlon jumped down from his horse at the edge of the forest and let it go with a slap on its loins. Then he ran down toward Kristen with the dogs leaping around him. He grabbed their snouts with his hands and walked toward her between the two animals, which were elk-gray and wolf-like. Kristen smiled and reached out her hand without getting up. Once, as she was looking down at his dark brown head lying in her lap between her hands, a memory abruptly rose up before her. It stood there, clear and distant, the way a house far off on the slope of a ridge can suddenly emerge quite clearly from the dark clouds as it is struck by a ray of sunshine on a turbulent day. And her heart suddenly seemed filled with all of the tenderness that Arna Geerdsen had once wanted, back when she hardly even understood his words. Anxiously, she drew the man to her, pressing his face against her breast, kissing him as if she were afraid that he might be taken from her. And when she looked at his head lying in her embrace, she thought it was like having a child in her arms. She hid his eyes with her hand and sprinkled little kisses over his mouth and cheek. The sun had disappeared from the meadow. The intense color above the treetops had deepened to a dark blue, spreading over the entire sky. There were small copper-red streaks in the clouds like smoke from a fire. Bayard came toward them, gave a loud whinny, and then stood motionless, staring. A moment later, the first lightning flashed, followed at once by thunder, not far away. Erland stood up and took the reins of the horse. There was an old barn at the bottom of the meadow, and that's where they headed. He tethered Bayard to some planks just inside the door. In the back of the barn was a mound of hay, and there Erlon spread out his cape. They sat down with the dogs at their feet. Soon the rain had formed a curtain in front of the doorway. The wind rushed through the forest, and the rain lashed against the hillside. A moment later they had to move farther inside because of a leak in the roof. Every time there was lightning and thunder, Erland would whisper, Aren't you afraid, Kristen? A little, she would whisper back, and then press closer to him. They had no idea how long they sat there. The storm passed over quite quickly, and they could still hear the thunder far away, but the sun was shining outside the door in the wet grass, and fewer and fewer glittering drops were falling from the roof. The sweet smell of hay grew stronger in the barn. I have to go now, said Kristen, and Erland replied, I suppose you do. He put his hand on her foot. You'll get wet. You must ride, and I'll walk, out of the forest. He gave her such a strange look. Kristen was trembling. She thought it was because her heart was pounding so hard, and her hands were clammy and cold. 
when he kissed the bare skin above her knee, she tried powerlessly to push him away. Erland raised his face for a moment, and she was suddenly reminded of a man who had once been given food at the convent. He had kissed the bread they handed to him. She sank back into the hay with open arms and let Erland do as he liked. She was sitting bolt upright when Erland lifted his head from his arms. Abruptly, he propped himself up on his elbow. Don't look like that, Kristen. His voice etched a wild new pain into Kristen's soul. He wasn't happy. He was distressed, too. Kristen. Kristen. And a moment later, he asked, Do you think I lured you out here to the woods because I wanted this from you? To take you by force? She stroked his hair but didn't look at him. I wouldn't call it force. No doubt you would have let me go as I came if I had asked you to, she said softly. I'm not sure of that, he replied, hiding his face in her lap. Do you think I will forsake you? he asked fervently. Kristen, I swear on my Christian faith, may God forsake me in my last hour if I fail to be faithful to you until I die. She couldn't say a word. She merely caressed his hair over and over. Now, surely, it must be time for me to go home, she said at last, and she felt as if she were waiting with dread for his reply. I suppose it is, he said gloomily. He stood up quickly, went over to his horse, and began to untie the reins. Then Kristen stood up too, slowly, feeling faint and shattered. She didn't know what she had expected him to do. Perhaps help her up onto his horse, and take her along with him so that she could avoid going back to the others. Her whole body seemed to be aching with astonishment, that this was the iniquity that all the songs were about. And because Erland had done this to her, she felt as if she had become his possession, and she couldn't imagine how she could live beyond his reach anymore. She was going to have to leave him now, but she could not conceive of doing so. Down through the woods he walked, leading the horse and holding Kristen's hand in his, but they could think of nothing to say to each other. When they had gone so far that they could see the buildings of Skog, he said his farewell. Kristen, don't be sad. Before you know it, the day will come when you'll be my wife. But her heart sank as she spoke. Then you have to leave me? she asked fearfully. As soon as you've left Skog, he said, and his voice sounded more vibrant all at once. If there's no campaign, then I'll speak to Munan. He's been urging me for a long time to get married. I'm certain he'll accompany me and speak to your father on my behalf. Kristen bowed her head. For every word he spoke, the time that lay before her seemed longer and more impossible to imagine. The convent, Jürgengard, it was as if she were floating in a stream that was carrying her away from everything. Do you sleep alone in the loft, now that your kinsmen have gone? asked Erland. If so, I'll come and talk to you tonight. Will you let me in? Yes, murmured Kristen. And then they parted. The rest of the day Kristen sat with her grandmother, and after the evening meal she helped the old woman into bed. Then she went up to the loft where she slept. There was a small window in the room, and Kristen sat down on the chest that stood beneath it. She had no desire to go to bed. She had to wait for a long time. It was pitch dark outside when she heard the quiet footsteps on the gallery. 
He tapped on the door with his cape wrapped around his knuckles, and Kristen stood up, drew back the bolt, and let Erland in. She noticed that he was pleased when she threw her arms around his neck and pressed herself against him. I was afraid you'd be angry with me, he said. Sometime later, he said, You mustn't grieve over this sin. It's not a great one. God's law is not the same as the law of the land in this matter. Gunolf, my brother, once explained it all to me. If two people agree to stand by each other for all eternity and then lie with each other, they are married before God and cannot break their vows without committing a great sin. I would tell you the word in Latin if I could remember it. I knew it once. Kristen wondered what could have been the reason for Erlon's brother to speak of this, but she brushed aside the nagging fear that it might have been about Erland and someone else, and she sought solace in his words. They sat next to each other on the chest. Erland put his arm around Kristen, and now she felt warm and secure. At his side was the only place she would ever feel safe and protected again. From time to time, Erland would say a great deal, speaking elatedly. Then he would fall silent for long periods, simply caressing her. Without knowing it, Kristen was gathering up from all he said every little thing that might make him more attractive and dear to her, and that would lessen his blame in all she knew about him that was not good. Erland's father, Sir Nikolaus, was so old when his children were born that he had neither the patience nor the ability to raise them himself. Both sons had grown up in the home of Sir Bard Peterson of Hesnes. Erland had no siblings other than his brother Gunolf, who was one year younger and a priest at Christ's church. I love him more dearly than anyone except for you. Kristen asked Erland whether Gunolf looked like him, but he laughed and said they were quite different in both temperament and appearance. Gunolf was abroad, studying. This was the third year he had been gone, but twice he had sent letters home. The last one arrived the year before, when he was about to leave Sancta Genoveva in Paris and head for Rome. Gunolf will be happy when he comes home and finds me married, said Erland. Then he talked about the vast inheritance he had acquired from his parents. Kristen realized that he hardly knew himself how his affairs now stood. She was quite familiar with her father's land dealings, but Erland's dealings had been of the opposite kind. He had sold and scattered, mortgaged and squandered his property, especially during the past few years as he had tried to separate from his mistress, thinking that with time his wild life would be forgotten and his kinsmen would take him back. He had believed that in the end he would be named sheriff of half of Orkdola County, just as his father had been. But now I have no idea how things will finally go, he said. Maybe I'll end up on a farm, on some scruffy slope like Bjorn Gunnarsson, and I'll have to carry out the dung on my back, the way slaves used to do in the past, because I own no horses. God help you, said Kristen, laughing. Then I'd better come with you. I think I know more about peasant ways than you do. But I don't imagine that you've ever carried a dung basket, he said, laughing too. No, but I've seen how they spread out the muck, and I've sown grain almost every year back home. My father usually plows the closest fields himself, and then he lets me sow the first section, because I'll bring him luck. The memory painfully pierced her heart, and she said hastily, And you'll need a woman to bake and brew the weak ale, and wash out your only shirt, and do the milking. 
you'll have to lease a cow or two from the nearest wealthy farmer. Oh, thank God I can hear you laugh a little once again, said Erland, taking her onto his lap so that she lay in his arms like a child. During the six nights before Osmond Bjorgelsen returned home, Erland came up to the loft to be with Kristen each evening. On the last night, he seemed just as unhappy as she was. He said many times that they would not be parted from each other a day longer than was necessary. Finally, he said in a subdued voice, If things should go badly that I cannot return here to Oslo before winter, and you happen to be in need of a friend's help, then you can safely turn to Sira Jon here at Gerderud. We've been friends since childhood, and Munan Bartson you can also trust. Kristen could only nod. She realized that he was talking about the same thing that had been on her mind every single day, but Erland didn't mention it again. Then she was silent too, not wanting to show him how sick at heart she felt. The other times he had left her as the hour grew late, but on this last night he pleaded earnestly to be allowed to lie down and sleep with her for a while. Kristen was afraid, but Erland said defiantly, you should realize that if I'm discovered here in your chamber, I know how to defend myself. She wanted so badly to keep him with her a little longer, and she was incapable of refusing him anything. But she was worried that they might sleep too long. So, for most of the night, she sat up, leaning against the headboard, dozing a little now and then, not always conscious of when he was actually caressing her and when she had simply dreamed it. She kept one hand on his chest where she could feel the beat of his heart, and turned her face toward the window so she could watch for the dawn outside. Finally, she had to wake him. She threw on some clothes and walked out onto the gallery with him. He leaped over the railing on the side of the house facing another building. Then he disappeared around the corner. Kristen went back inside and crawled into bed again. Then she let herself go and wept for the first time since she had become Erlon's possession. <laughs> <laughs>